Crack a lag on the track. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Free Game with Crack podcast. On today's episode, I have a very motivated, funny motherfucker. His name is Jamar Johnson. We talked about his come up as a motivational speaker, how we got involved with doing stand-up comedy. He was a valid Victorian. He's done a TED Talk before, which is a hell of a thing to have on your resume. Recently lost 50 pounds. We talked a little bit about health and weight loss. Things like that. Another dope podcast. Welcome to the Free Game with Crack podcast. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Free Game with Crack podcast. Today, I have Jamar John Johnson. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, Crack. Thanks for having me, brother. How's things out in the great state of California? Man, California is fantastic. I'm here in Los Angeles, and, uh, you know, we still locked down. It's still pandemic season, but I'm still putting in that work, man. Now... Has your, like, day-to-day life changed much during this? Honestly, bro, my, my day-to-day has not really changed much because, I, you know, I've been working from the compound for a minute now. Um, I, I pretty much start every day the same. I go out for a 12 to 15-mile hike uh, from, my, from my area in the Miracle Mile zone, kind of like Beverly Hills adjacent. And I cut up and I walk through the Hollywood Hills and uh, go to Runyon Canyon, which is closed, but I found some side streets. So I go through Runyon Canyon, and then I come back, and then uh, it's like the day starts around 8 a.m. So I get up around 4.35 every day, rain, sleet, snow, shine. Like today it was raining, I I went out and just, I actually ran the whole 12 miles. So my routine is still the same, and then I come back, and it's just an assortment of things that I do from the compound uh, for my clients, uh, you know, marketing. Uh, and then also just exploring music and just connecting with people on every social media possible. Now, I want your words to describe to people all the different things that you do. I see the entrepreneurian, like, say yes, sir. say a little bit more about that. Yeah, man, entrepreneurian, man. It's, it's an entrepreneur who happens to be extremely funny, man. So I've I literally been in the comedy game for like the last 16 years. And, uh, I, and then entrepreneurship, honestly, I've been hustling since I was 12. So. I was always figuring out ways to make money because my mother really didn't have it. And I was like, if I want these nice kicks, I got to figure out a way to get it because she ain't going to be able to get it. But I also realized that, you know, there's a, there's a way to go about it where you kind of endanger yourself. And there's a way to go about it where, you know, you could be on an up and up, but still, but still come up, right? So when I was 16, I had an airbrush business, um, you know, drawing, doing basically graffiti on shirts instead of doing it on the walls. People was doing it on the walls and getting caught up. I was doing it on shirts and making, you know, $25 a pop. Uh, with no overhead on supplies because I was using the community center stuff. They was like, yo, trying to keep the kids off the street. So I was always hustling. And then, um, you know, growing up in New York City where I'm from, you know, having a sense of humor just keeps you from having to fight people, right? It's like your chops can just keep you, you know, people shooting the dozens and stuff. And it's like, you just learn, I just learned a quick wit. But I didn't know that 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 could be a business, right? I saw Def Comedy Jam and all that stuff, but I, I was like, I didn't know that that could be a business. And then when I was 18, uh, I had an opportunity to do some public speaking, and I blew some people away uh, at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in, in New York City in front of like 2,000 people. So at that point, I knew I had a gift to gab, right? But in terms of like music, I kept it, I kept it, you know, to myself because there was a lot of good spitters on the block, and I, I wasn't trying to get flamed out there. So I just kept it to the to myself, and then it wasn't until years later when I saw the the cast of the Dave Chappelle show performing live for the first time that I was like, yo, there's something about bringing people together, making them feel good, making them laugh. But I did the math in the room and I was like, this is one of nine sold out shows. These, these dudes just did a million and a half dollars in, in nine shows in Boston. 
at the end of season one of the Chappelle show. So I did the math, I was like, yo, this is a business. So I just started learning the business of, you know, stand-up comedy, public speaking, and then, uh, you know, any business is about marketing. So if you can right. get your brand out there, you can sell more whatever you're selling, services, you know, products, etc. And so I started to put two and two together and then over time I just started consulting people as well as doing the actual thing at the comedy store, Caroline's in New York. I've toured all over the country, did some shows in Canada. So, you know, entrepreneurian is like, you know, you're not just an artist. You're not just a comedian. You're a businessman first. Yeah, much more than that. So being Absolutely. a comedian, that was like the step one for you? Well, I would say um, I was always an artist, right? Uh-huh. Remember, so I was saying, like, I drew, I airbrushed. I was always an artist. So for me, it was like being a comedian was like the way I felt like I could shine the most between all my gifts as an artist, right? How, how old were you when you first started doing that? I first, when I first started doing it, I was 25, man. I'm 40 now, so... I'll be 41 this year, so I'm going on my 16th year. So I was I was 25, but I had started public speaking at 18. So I had already spoken in front of like 2,000 people and shut it down. And so I knew I had a gift. But then, you know, about like seven years later is when I actually was like, oh, this is how I could take that gift and put it into something that can make me money. Like what led to you starting to public speak at 18? Like what were you thinking at 17 or like your senior year of high school? Yeah, yeah. So so what actually happened, man, because I got caught up in the streets when I was younger, I actually got left back twice. Like junior high, I got left back for just cutting class. You know, I would just go to FAO Swartz and just explore the city. I was just, you know, just trying to keep my mind from being depressed on my home situation because my mom was actually messed up on crack for a minute, right? Uh -huh. So then when she got clean, I was like, yo... Um, I was still kind of rebelling as a teen and I was just, you know, I was trying to avoid drama at school, you know, people, people trying to fuck with you at school, people trying to, you know, you know, you know, throw shade on you whenever they could. And I didn't really belong to any cliques. So for me, it was like, yo, I got to just keep it moving. So when I got to high school, I kind of had those same bad habits. And even though I got into one of those advanced high schools in New York, mm -hmm. you know, I tested in. I just couldn't really feel like I belonged in there. I just felt like I'd rather just cut class and just avoid people and things like that. So I got left back twice. So when, when, by the time I got into this specialized high school called Vanguard, what actually happened was um, you had to do more than just standardized testing. You know, you had to write a portfolio paper on every single subject. Uh, 20 page minimum was the requirement. And you had to present it and speak to a panel of people who judge your work and your performance. So I started public speaking in school as a part of the curriculum that was kind of like, we think this is going to prepare people better for the next level than what they've been doing in other schools. So that was kind of how it started off. So one of the things that I did, like when I was in junior high, um, when I was cutting class, one of my art teachers caught me and he's just invited me to come back to his to his his lab. And he knew how to make Jim Henson style puppets. So he taught me how to make puppets when I was in junior high. And that was like one of the things I did to just stay off the street. So when I got into high school, I did a senior portfolio project where I made, you know, these two different puppets. I made them, you know, I made them black and one was black, one was Dominican. And my boy Freddie, he played the other puppet and we did a puppet show. And I, I got a 4.0 on that and talked about the history of puppetry, talked about Sesame Street, the significance and the culture, all of that stuff. So I was used to, to explaining what I did in front of people, you know what I mean, in front of my own camera too, because I was always recorded too. I actually got some old footage of that shit too. And then what happened from there was one of the internships that I had, 
they invited a bunch of like a bunch of select students up to Boston to to check out um, their main facility. And we little did we know they were trying to think who they were going to have come speak at their uh, their annual gala. So in 1997. Uh, when I turned 18, I, that was my senior year. So I turned 18 in, in, in 1987 because I was a year behind because I had got left back once, but I also got skipped once. Right? Okay, okay. So as a senior, it was it was October 14th. I'll never forget it because it was my 18th birthday. I was literally in a double-breasted, you know, pinstripe, you know, blue suit, um, tied up and everything, and I spoke in front of 2,000 people. And uh, that's when I knew that public speaking was like, a thing I could do that could propel me forward in life. Were you ever shy? Like you're obviously not introverted at all, right? <laughs> you know, you, you know what's funny you say that, crap. It's funny you say that, but I honestly, the way I determine what makes a person introverted and extroverted is not what you see when the camera's on and when they got to perform. It's how do they recharge themselves, right? And I spend a, a very large amount of my time alone. Same. That's how I like it taking in information, thinking things through, processing, you know, looking at life like chestnut checkers, being philosophical about life. And I get exhausted when I'm just around people nonstop, nonstop. Now, I like being around people, but I like being around myself a whole hell of a lot more. So I've learned to be extroverted for effect and for, and for progress and for business, but I'm actually an introverted person. And like I said, I, I spend most of my time recharging alone. That's, that's crazy to hear. I'm I'm the exact same way. I was always super shy. I think on Thursday I'm gonna post like a throwback video of me. It's me and this dude. He came to my studio yeah. and it was when my my name first was starting to get out around town, and uh, he had heard my beats and he came to the studio to do like an interview with me. And uh, I remember like just being really sweaty. My face is all shiny. My hands are sweaty, and I just kept like doing this with my hands and he pointed it out yeah, a few yeah. times to like embarrass me but i was always quiet but like you said you learned how to turn it on because you realized how important it was to be extroverted on camera to show that confidence and uh Absolutely. you know all the pros and cons that that benefits but, but uh, that come from it yeah but yeah and also it was just like it was a way to protect yourself in the streets right if you if you see meek and meager on the streets of new york you know people trying to take what's yours so for me it was like i knew how to, i learned how to flex for the for the purpose of just checking people you know what i mean i learned how to you know what i'm saying get loud when i need to i learned how to like okay what the fuck motherfucker you know what i'm saying uh -huh. like belt just just quick you know what i mean it's, it's almost like acting in a sense but the thing was is that i would really hit you with a hammer if you tested me you know what i'm saying because it's, if it's mine or your life, it's going to be yours because I ain't going out. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Now, so you're 18. You started speaking. Like, at this point in time, were you thinking about college? Did you go to college? Yeah, man. So what happened for me was um, a bunch of people came running up to me after the event and was handing me business cards and stuff, right? And it was like, yo, come in, come, come intern at our company. Because, you know, with these galas, it was, I think we raised like, I think we raised like, like $2.2 million that night, right? For like with like two thousand people. Like, what was the event, and what were you speaking about? Yeah, so it was called. It was a nonprofit that still exists called Facing History and Ourselves. That's the name of the uh -huh. nonprofit, right? And what they did was they took the curriculum of Nazi Germany. They took that into the high schools to teach kids how to learn how to question authority. Like, don't just follow what people say. Like, find ways to have reasonable discourse and questions about what happens so that we can prevent what happened in Nazi Germany, 
You feel me? So okay, it, that was right up my alley because I was already a renegade, but I always was like one of those people who was always asking why, why this, why that, why you know what I'm saying? I was always asking why. So with that being the case, um, the gala was like I sp I had a five minute speech which I'll send you the clip so you can take a look at it where um, I was basically just sharing what my experience was and I was also sharing without being too graphic like. You know, I realized that I could got, I could, I could have got caught up in the street because I was doing street things. And then I started noticing that, like I was doing it out of like defense of people and defense of your block and things like that. And then once I started noticing some people, they was just being extra for no reason. Like they was just harassing people. They were stealing and robbing people for no reason. Even when they had money, I was like, yo, this don't make sense to me. I got to question this, this behavior. And then when I was 15, I spent the night, one night in jail for breaking up a fight that, that one of my boys had with a homeless dude of all people. And and he got away and three of us got arrested. And I was like, that's it, yo. I'm not going down for somebody else's bullshit. And uh, I ended up changing up my course of direction in life. He ended up going to juvenile detention and then also prison as an adult. So I made the right move, but I had to learn that you gotta like, you gotta like make your own decisions. So by the time I was 18, I understood that lesson and, and choosing your own path very well. Like it was very real for me. It wasn't just like, like you know, something you learn in school. Here's why, here's why. Now I was like, nah, I know firsthand. If I didn't change my course of action, I would have been locked up. Right, so, so then you start doing speeches. You said that people were giving you business cards and stuff. So like what happened right after that? Yeah, so people was giving me business cards and like come intern with us. But in my mind, I was like, I want to go to college. And so I was like, but I also want to get up out this city. So right. I was like, I'm going to use, I'm going to go, I'm going to join the military, earn money for college, but at the same time, be able to bounce immediately after school. Because I was ready to be my own man. You know, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, I like, I love you, Ma, but I'm in this house. Me and my brother, we share a room. I got two other siblings. They get on my nerves. It's like, I'm ready to go. So my okay. mind was like, how do I get out of here as fast as possible? Like, All right, join the military. That gives me bread. Get the GI Bill. Do some other things. But what actually happened was, when I was sitting in the recruiter's office, uh, he was trying to run his game, and luckily I was smart enough that I would just ask questions, and I was like, yo, what's that book over there that talks to, that says ROTC, what's that, officer package? He was like, oh, that's for people who go to college, you can become an officer. I was like, yo, but I plan on going to college. He's like, he's like, yeah, but you know, you gotta apply for it, normally you gotta do it as a junior, you're already a senior. I was like, that's cool, listen, I'll enlist if you help me figure, fill that, that package out and see if I can get that. So he's like, all right, deal. So we, so we made an agreement, he helped me get all of the jump through all the hoops. I applied, and so basically I was gonna enlist anyway, and then wait to find out the results. So I went on faith. I enlisted. A year later, year and a half later, I got the call up that I got the scholarship, uh, four year academic scholarship to uh, go to college, and I ended up going to college. Damn, what was your GPA to get that? Uh, well, I graduated from high school actually valedictorian, man. I actually. Um, Wow. Actually, I actually pulled it out, like, you know, getting left back. The thing is, it's like, because I skipped class, that, I didn't have grades to count against me. I didn't even, it was like absent, you know what I mean? So yeah. when, I, when I got into the new high school, they kind of gave me like a clean slate and I could just be a, re, you know, like redefine myself. So from that point forward, I had a, I started to develop a love for school and I basically crushed it. I killed it and ended up, you know, becoming valedictorian. I actually think I also talked my way into valedictorian too. Like I think it might have been like a, almost like a tie between me and one other girl. But like, but I just like 
they they wanted me speaking at graduation. Put it like that. So I, I I saw firsthand the power of being able to speak and being able to present well. Is you're a spokesperson, so people want to hire that. What were you more nervous to speak at your high school graduation or at that event that you spoke at? You know that event that I spoke at. It was two thousand people, but I was prepared because they gave us okay. a speech coach, and it was three. It was two other students and myself, and I went third. I was the headliner, so. You know, they knew that my speech, because it was we got to write our own speeches. I was like, "Yo, this dude, this kid, he got he got to get the gab. His speech, his talk is powerful. He probably comes for the most disadvantage of the three. Like the 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 white girl that was with us. Actually, she wasn't really white. She was half Jewish, half Palestinian. Um, she was very eloquent and and sharp, but also comes from privilege. So it's like her viewpoints are like not going to be that shocking. The other girl, she was uh, she was black, and it was India. Um, she, um, she, you know, she came from probably a little bit better off, you know, two-parent household. In my household, I was like, it was just straight up chaos. I was like, let's have him go last because his story's gonna hit a little bit harder. Plus, he's gonna be the deliverer. Uh -huh. So I went third. So I, I wasn't really nervous. I was like, more excitement. I learned early on from the speech coach, like, because I play sports. I play basketball, right? And I was also voted my senior year most valuable player by my teammates. So I was cool and calm under pressure. And it was like I, I, I knew if I prepared, I could do anything. You know what I'm saying? So so when I was up there speaking, the lights were so bright, I couldn't see anybody. And that was nerve-wracking, because I normally would be able to like at least connect and make eye contact, but I was looking out into the darkness. And so there was a moment in my speech, I'll let you figure out when that moment was, where I almost forgot everything. Like it just blacked my mind, blacked out. But I just kept breathing. And then it just all came rushed back because I wasn't really afraid. I just was like, okay, I'm ready for this. I prepared for this, so this is my moment. You know, it was like that that eight mile moment before it happened. I was like, I'm ready for this. Okay, so then, what age were you when you got out of the? Because you went to the Navy. So I went. So I went to the Marine Corps first. Okay. Then, then my scholarship kicked in. Then I went to college as a reservist, right? And then, we're halfway through college, I switched my option from Marine Corps to Navy. So when I became an officer, it was a naval officer instead of a marine officer. Because at the time, Marine Corps was a subset of the Navy. So it was underneath the Navy branch of service. Bet. So I switched options, came up, and like I said, I, re I read the fine print. I was like, yo, do I really want to be a Marine or I want to be a Navy? Because the Navy, I saw them really traveling the world for real, for real. And then also I saw them having a bigger emphasis on education. And I was like, I also want to get my master's one day. You know what I mean? So. I ended up like switching options and then I ended up doing that for the next, you know, add, add another, you know, 10, 11 years on that. So all in all, I did 14 years in the military. And then like when I was 25, I was already an officer, but I started doing stand up on the side, moonlighting, because that was going to be my business flow that I could start building up because all everything I read said it takes 10 years before you find your voice as a comedian. So I was like, I'm not going to wait till I get out of the military to start it. I'm going I'm to do it right now so that I can start developing the shops and then be ready for it when I get out. What did you do to start? Cause you know, we all have those friends that are funny growing up and you're always yeah. like, yo, you should do stand up. you should do stand up. And I had a few different friends who I was like, literally trying to help, but it was like, they just didn't want yeah. it. They were too scared. Or I would tell them like, man, yeah. go, go do open mic or something like that. Was your first stand up yeah. like an open mic type of thing? Nah, my first stand up was a straight up live show in front of 175 people. Cause I, it, 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 I didn't know any better. I didn't, you know, there wasn't open mics where I was. You know what I mean? Like I just had to go to the club and be like, 
you know, I went there in my uniform. I, I, I used my leverage. I went in my uniform so he knew, A, I was a respectable person, a man of his word, and also that, hey, I can get people to come see me. Because ultimately, everything comes down to butts and seats, right? Asses and seats. Can you put money into the, into, into the pocket of the venue you're performing at? If yes, you could be shitty and they're going to let you go. So he didn't know if I could do it, but he knew that I had to get the gab in front of him. So I sold myself in front of him. And I was like, yo, I could bring like 20, 30 people. I brought like 80 people my first show. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. This and I and I and I got paid chicken. I I got I got paid a chicken sandwich. Like I didn't even get no money for all of the people I brought there. But that's that's learning lessons, right? I should have negotiated that from the get go. So I gotta take that L. But I should have probably made like even if I did like a five dollar a head joint, I should have made three two three hundred dollars my first show. Now, how slow was the comedian grind? Um, you know what? It, it felt fast and furious for me because. Honestly, I had the money to invest in myself, right? I was an officer in the Navy, I was making six figures. So, you know, I was able to like just move and shake and, and drive out of my area and go and network and just constantly. So it felt like it was moving at light speed. And um, because I was working so much, I was working so hard at it. To me, it's like writing jokes is the same thing as writing rhymes, you know? You're writing bars, you, you're, writing, you're, writing, you're writing hooks, you're, writing, you're coming up with catchy things. You're, you're constantly creating ideas. Every everywhere you go, all day long, all you can think about is how to get this line to hit. So, I was focused on it because it was going to be my business. So I was about my business, uh -huh. and so you know I moved up and, and connected with, with quite a few people um, very quickly because I, I looked at it, I took it very seriously. Yep. So from 25, doing your first ever stand-up show, what age were you like the the ultimate peak of your comedian career so far? Well, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i 40 now, and honestly, I'm, I'm light years better than I ever was, right? Like, uh -huh. the, the confidence, the pacing. Like, I understand now, uh, you know, God is in the silence. You know what I'm saying? And so what that means is, like, when I'm talking on stage, I'm, in not, I'm not in any rush to show you that I'm funny. I already know I'm funny. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I'm here to deliver an idea, a message, a purpose. I'm here for a reason. Part of that is to entertain you, but part of that is to make you think. So really, like the the, the way I describe my comedy and what I attempt, what I aspire to is to be a, a transformational comedian, right? So I'm not just here to make you funny. I'm also I'm here to be funny. I'm also want to make you think about things. I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you leave thinking differently about certain subjects that I care about. Right. So I really take my time and I, and, I, and I just, you know, I try to show mastery up there. And the thing is, too, you know, comedy is subjective. You know, some people love certain types of comedians and they don't love others. But I, I know, I've worked so many different crowds. I could work in all environments. If I'm in a really, really hood show, I know how to get really, really gully with it. If I'm in a, you know, uh, uh, if I'm in a nice uh, corporate show, I know how to turn it on and, you know, give them the, the Wayne Brady version, you know? I know uh, how, to, yeah. how to go into different modes and connect with my audience where they are and then take them to where I want them to go. So right now I'm at the pinnacle. Um, and, and it's funny because when you're at the pinnacle too, sometimes, like, I don't, I don't work as much, but also I charge more. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like a give and take. But for me, the next step is really to kind of build out, you know, my my brand and my own tour. Like, because I have a friend who's already done it, 
and he's just a storyteller. But he went out and just used Instagram ads and literally toured 300 cities around the world off of Instagram and storytelling. And I'm not going to say, you know, I'm a competitor. Like, he'll tell you I'm the better comedian. But he, he understood marketing at a deeper level. So, but I, I can do what he's doing. So that's, that's, the, next, that's the next phase. But um, I, I definitely missed that first three years because I was like prolifically writing and just willing to try anything. Like I was just having so much fun just letting any idea run with things. And it's just like this, there's like this reckless abandon to it. Whereas now I'm more refined. You know, I know what my voice is. I know how people perceive me on stage and how sometimes I can shatter their assumptions or um, how to like operate in a way that's kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a wiser, you know, man, even though I look, you know, young, I'm, I'm 40. Now, you, you did a TED Talk? Yeah, I did a TED Talk. How the hell did that happen and when did that happen? You know, you know it's funny though, let, let me tell you the power of networking, the power of connection, bro, because, you know, I wanted to do one for a minute, you know, as a speaker, that's one of those prominent stages you want to hit. And uh, I've been doing events and stuff, speaking events, and I actually had somebody in our mastermind group, bro, somebody in our mastermind group, he goes by the name of Smart Rapper, AKA Rob Level, shout out to Rob Level. Yeah, shout out to Rob. Yeah, so check this out. So what happened was, I was trying to, I was trying to get him on one of my events to just speak, right, as a speaker, because he does motivational speaking too. And um, yeah, we couldn't really work it out, you know, he was, he's mad busy, you know, trying to grow his empire. And, but we, but you know, every once in a while I would, I would get him to come to one of my comedy shows. So he saw me, he came to the comedy store and just saw me destroy. So he was like, yo, this dude is funny. And then what happened was somebody asked him to do a TEDx, but that wasn't really his style. Like he, he's not trying to be super clean and, and, and politically correct uh, you know, uh -huh. type of stuff. So because I was top of mind, because I was in his network, because he knew that I'd be grinding and he saw my grind. He was like, yo, it's called you. Yo, I got somebody for this. And he called me up and, he, and he, he offered it to me. So I went and spoke to them. And then, of course, they liked me. And then, boom, I was in. So it's funny because this is literally the fourth time this in this last week that somebody asked me how did I get my TED Talk. And I'm going to tell you, like, your network is your net worth. So your network is going to help you do all sorts of stuff that, you know, you try to do on your own and you just hit the brick wall. I have been applying to some. But they're so competitive because everybody's trying to do it now. The way I got it was by being connected to the right person at the right time with, with, and then with the right intent. They saw me doing what I was talking about doing. And they was like, where, yo, you'd be, you'd be perfect for it. Where'd you do it at? Where is it? I did it in the Valley. There was, um, so TEDx is, is our tech or licensed independent TED Talks. So they do them all around the country. If you go to like the website, You'll see a list of all the TED Talks that they plan to do all year round. And then TED is the main conference. It's like the big, the big, big stage. It's very hard to get those. But they made TEDx because they still wanted to give other people a chance to get their voice out there. So a lot of people that have been on the come up lately, I don't know if you know Todd Lopez, who's big yeah. in the marketing world. Uh, I met him in Hollywood like three years ago doing comedy. He, he, he loves coming out to comedy shows in Hollywood all the time. But he did a TEDx and like that was that helped put him on the map. And then he, he marketed and advertised it and he leveraged it to create his brand. So for me it was like a like a brand move. And uh, so I so mine is up. My, so it was crazy because I recorded it, I did it, I actually got the all the raw footage, but it's one of those things where they there's so many TEDx is happening 
you don't know how far in the queue. It's almost like I don't got the rights to it. I don't know when it's gonna drop. Gotcha. And I don't wanna drop it on my joint because then it's like, I might be violating the terms of service. But I have the footage and I might just start putting little clips up just to kind of like start promoting it uh, while I wait for them to drop it. Was that nerve wracking? Nah. No. Nah. So let, let me ask you this. Let's say you know tomorrow you have a speaking event or a stand up. How, like, nerves wise, are you excited to do it? Are you nervous to do it? Oh, do you want to, like, what is your always, feelings? Always excited. I mean, first of all, if you're always working on your ideas, then you, you got plenty to talk about. So every new show is an opportunity to express those new ideas and be and keep on keep on current stuff. When, when new stuff happens that's current, you should always be writing on top of that, but also relating it to your personal journey, your personal story, so you can always make it evergreen and not just topical and seasonal, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, if you think about it, like it's like you know how some some rappers like they try to write, they try to when they when they make an album, they try to make it be a classic every time, yeah. so that it can stand the test of time. Uh huh. That's my approach to storytelling and joke writing. It's like, what can I talk about that in five years it'll still be relevant? Because then I'm focusing more on themes and uh, and tropes, not simply the current events of today. I'm like, what does that mean deeper? And so really good comedians like that, if you look at old George Carlin, it's like his stuff is still true to this day because it was so real. It was so about human nature. Uh -huh. So that's what I kind of tend to talk about more. Now, out of all the different business ventures that you have going on, like what would you say takes up the most of your time on like a week to week basis? So I have clients, um, I have clients in the in the marketing space that I run basically advertisements for, create creative ads, copy, and stuff like that. So on a day to day basis, I'm either you know checking on the ads I've already set up, you know letting them see what their lead flow is or I'm just connecting with new people to generate new business. So that's probably what I spend most of my time doing. Probably like three to four Zoom meetings a day, you know, 30 minutes a pop, sometimes longer if it goes great. And then um, for one of my clients in particular, I have a client in the energy business um, is, a, is actually a solar, a solar company. Uh, that does nationwide uh, commercial and residential solar installations. So I'm doing a lot of like uh, helping him grow his sales team and his organization and then lead generation for the actual solar installation as well. So I probably spend, I probably say, like I, I don't know if you ever heard of the book The 4-Hour Workweek with Tim Ferriss, but I definitely set my life up to be in that way where honestly most of my day, my, my time is my time and I'm just checking up on things that I'm leveraging automation for so i have a saying automation is to your time what compound interest is to your money you know if you learn how to use it and leverage it you'll win big if you don't you'll fail what got you into social media obviously you know just doing doing comedy and knowing i had to have a yeah. brand i just started to really just dig into it just for my own sake and then i started when i got out of the military i was a, i did real estate for two years i noticed everything there was marketing based from there i went to a startup company in silicon valley uh, and, and, and was doing inside sales, but was watching over the shoulders and seeing marketing happening. And then from there I got poached and became a director of sales and marketing for a personal development company uh, called, called One Taste. And they, they taught orgasmic meditation of all things, but essentially generating like 300 leads a day from all over the world 
to sell coaching programs and um, and training packages. So doing all of that over over the laptop and phone, I was able to have that laptop lifestyle back in 2014. And so at that point, I was like, I'm, I know too much now. I got to do this for myself. What was like step one of starting a marketing agency? Did you do it by yourself at all in the very beginning before you started to bring other people on to help? No, nah, what, what actually what I ended up doing was, you know, I was I was like a, I was in that entrepreneur phase. So I was working for somebody, but I had so much freedom and flexibility that I could also go start acquiring my own clients on the side. So that's what I yeah. started doing. And then, of course, you know, out there's depending on how you structure your agency and what your agency does like i heavily use automation so like when i'm running like i got ads running right now like i don't have to be sitting there watching what they do i could just check when the result comes in oh you got a lead oh and then if it's automation set up i can have that lead go through a a, a process that follows up and it gets them to schedule an appointment so all of that time that i would normally have to pay somebody to do to move a deal through a flow cycle Automation does all of that now. So what was yeah. maybe needed at like a team of five or ten, eight years ago, one person can pretty much do all of that and manage the systems. But I, but I also do outsource some of the things that I need to uh -huh. other agencies that specialize in certain things. And then we, I have certain kind of performance contracts with them. So the better they perform, the more they make and things like that. And so it, it just makes me, you know, more... I, I can spend my time on the thing that makes me the most money, which is go getting a new client and just replicating the automation I'm doing for every other client. Yeah, I'm in a stage right now where I'm trying to like delegate as much shit as I can to other people. Yeah, even like absolutely. I'm trying to find a way to make it easier for like social media, like all the micro content, like say a clip from this mm -hmm. podcast. I want like a headline at the top, a little time bar going across and like the subtitles. Like I'm trying to find the fastest, cheapest, easiest way to get that done. Yeah, those, those, I mean, there's, there's companies out there that do it, but you got to look at it like how many pieces of content you're trying to get done. Because it's like the, the more pieces of content you get done with that, the, the, the more affordable it gets. But like if you're not at that threshold where, like if you're, if you're, looking, as pay, if you're looking to pay somebody three grand a month. No. I know people that, I know, but I'm saying I know people that can do it, but you would need to have enough work for them to make it make sense. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But they could just take everything you're doing and just constantly just package it and just, you know, create that effect where you, you got that omnipresence effect. But it honestly it depends on like just how much, like what's the return on investment of what's coming in. Um, but it's like, it's honestly, it for what for what that sounds like, what I would say is, you want some really highly talented, you know, Filipino or Pakistani type workers who can work for three, four dollars an hour, but they can do the work. They can do the, the graphics and all of that stuff in their country where that five dollars goes a long way. Mm -hmm. But you're gonna have to have that be outsourced out of the country to be able to do it at a scale that where it makes sense financially. How important would you say your physical location is um, with networking? Like you, you live in Los Angeles, California, so you're in like the networking capital of the world. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I think that's that's becoming less and less true uh, about just where you are. Don't get me wrong; proximity does have some some uh, some privileges. But if you think about how you and I even connected, right? We connected virtually, but through the internet. Through the internet, and but yeah. but 
the, re, the, the way I got uh, connected to, to, to game, uh, busyworksbeats.com, shout out to busyworksbeats, is because of his YouTube channel. And, you know, me being a, a very kind of like, you know, off and on producer, I was plugged into him and, and, and sticking around for the, for the knowledge on life and business more than I was just to, how to make some beats, right? Mm -hmm. And that led to me connecting and I was actually at his first live event. You know, there's, he actually has footage of me giving giving a giving a testimonial at his first live event. So I was I, what I do best is I connect digitally, but then I also connect in the real in the real realm with people that I meet digitally, and then really solidify those relationships. So that's why I call myself a super connector, and I actually wrote a book about it that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, super connecting the art and science of creating meaningful relationships in a digital age. So that's, that's the book that's going to be dropping. It's 23 chapters of fire. It's like really like how to network at a high level and how to be a, a go-giver about it so that people don't just look at you as somebody just coming to take, take, take. You're coming to give, coming to elevate. You're coming to really, you know, chop it up and break bread with people. Um, so the fact that I'm in L.A. is cool because a lot of people come through here. It's, it's like such a hub. But you can also go online. And, and like last week, man, I... I commented on some certain things and, and did some some really slick engagement on LinkedIn, and literally, you know, I added like 346 new connections and had like 17, 1800 new people look at my profile in four days. So literally, I figured out how to go how to go viral off of reacting and commenting to someone else's post that went viral. So it, went, it was it was crazy. So, you know, with all of those connections, I already got like four or five meetings every single week for the next few weeks because of all the people I met and then reached out to and then just, you know, used my, my methodology of like sending them voice notes, sending them videos and things like that to really make the relationship feel, you know, different from everything else they get. Because most people, they use automation to a certain level that it makes it feel inauthentic when they're trying to connect with you. And certain things yeah. are not scalable. Yep, yep, yep. That's kind of, I, I started doing like the one-on-one -on -one coaching calls about two months ago. And then I was thinking of all these, you know, the whole click funnel stuff going on right now as far as automating your, your mm -hmm. you know, income through selling beats and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, there's no way to automate this whole coaching call. Cause it's like, I just started putting out all these tutorials to show people that I'm knowledgeable in a lot of these yep. areas, like things that I do for a living. So Put out the yeah. tutorials, you know, as bait to lure people in that are looking to learn these yep. things. They see you yep. as the authoritative figure. And yep. then the fact Absolutely. that you're at, you offer a one-on-one -on -one phone call thing. It's like, holy shit, yo, I watch this guy's video, learn a bunch of stuff all the time. I have so yep. many other questions. I can actually call you, yes. you know. Yep. But like you said, scalability, you, there, we can't add hours in our day. So there is only so many hours in a day. So we... Yeah, you can't get to the point where you're doing 500 calls a day. Like, no, there's only so much no, time. you can't. Yeah. You can't. So what happens is you, you group the coaching up and things like that, and you do things about kind of stack it. But then ultimately, you got to just start raising the price more when the, as the demand increases. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just supply and demand. Yeah. So have you wrote other books in the past? You know what? Or is this going to be your first book? This is my first official release. I've written, um, I've probably written like three other books, but I never, I kind of kept them as secrets to myself. And I might still release them. And um, I come up with, with book ideas all the time, but what happened for me was 
um, I, I call myself a reluctant writer, and I think every writer essentially is to some degree, because it's like, man, is it ever finished? Is it ever finished? But for me, um, you know, I speak, I speak, you know, clear and fast. It, my my thoughts are very much connected to my to my voice when I'm speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can go give a 45 minute speech without much preparation, and organize it as I'm speaking, and deliver it. So. That feels like, you know, no limitation, no hold. I can just go. When I'm writing with my with my pen, first of all, I'm left-handed, so it's like my my handwriting isn't something that I get a thrill out of even rereading re and looking at uh -huh. because it's not the neatest, you know. And so, because I'm always having to like try to not smudge things, left-handed people we just tend to not write as good as right-handed people because it was designed for right-handed, you know. Um, so, and then it, it just comes out slower. Like I'm trying to write and it's like, my thoughts are trying to rush out and I can't move the pen fast enough. So for me, I started to, um, I f figured out a hack using automation and using, um, using transcription service software Smart. to like, yeah. yeah. So that's how, so that's how I'm writing every book from now on. And so when I wrote my book, I wrote it in, I wrote it in, uh, I wrote it in 10 days. I wrote it in 10 days, um, I, um, two chapters a day for 10 days. And then I think I actually, so what's that, two times, ten, what's that, 20? And then I actually ended up doing a couple extra chapters. So right now, as it is, it's 23 chapters. And then um, that might be like, you know, 300 pages or so. And then I'm going to have this editor kind of tighten it up and whittle it down but also keep keep my authentic voice because that was the thing too like I read books sometimes and then it's like that's not how I would speak yeah I want the book to sound like how I would speak because I want people to like hear my voice and I'm, and I'm of course I'm gonna do I got the audiobook already done because that's how I made the book so I got the audiobook part done and now I'm just getting the written part transcript transcribed how how did you pick a winner because you know how you said you have like new book ideas all the time that's kind of me yeah. so when I I'm 31 when I turned 30 mm -hmm. I said this is the year I'm writing a book and I, I've always wanted yeah. to write a book and it's that good feeling so I'm not a motivational speaker but I'm definitely a motivated person and when I talk to people mm -hmm. it's all about positivity and you know the phone calls where you get off the phone and you're like, yo, I feel good. I'm fired up right now. Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it just kind of turned to where I was like, man, instead of doing, you know, just five, six minute YouTube videos here and there and going live and talking and ranting and stuff, uh, if I put it like in a targeted direction, a focused way or message to do it, I could, I wanted to put like that motivation into a book. I just didn't know exactly. Like I was talking to my dad about it. And he was like, who are you talking to? Or what? Are you? And I was just picturing like other up and coming me's out there, like the younger me's out that's, there. That's exactly right. Yep. It, but actually I mean, I'll simplify it even more. Write the book to connect with one person. Okay. The, the, the young version of you, what would, what do you, what are the things you wish you would have known? Yeah. When you first started. If you write the book with that in mind, it is bound to have impact with to more people. Because although we have different birth dates and zodiac signs and all sorts of stuff that we try to dif differentiate ourselves with, the reality is, is that we're all 99.99% the same genetically. Uh -huh. There's only a 0.01% difference. 
and that's what makes us uniquely special and original. But 99.9% .9 of us are all the same, which means we're all gonna have human emotions, human thoughts, you know, similar storylines that will allow, that will enable us to see ourselves and others and vice versa. What's your zodiac sign? I'm a Libra. Libra? How, how true is like the Libra characteristics to you? I mean, you know, I, 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 I go through it a lot because I date a lot and so girls always want to know, what's your zodiac sign? <laughs> yeah. Are we compatible, baby? No, but so, I feel like it's pretty accurate, uh, you know. I think there's some, there's probably a couple of things I'm like, I don't know. But also, I know that I've evolved and I've grown, and I've I've strengthened a lot of areas in which I was weak in the past as well. So, you know, I feel like it's um, you know, I feel like it's uh, it's pretty accurate for me. Uh -huh. But with, with with a couple of little things, um, but I also can see also similarities that I have with other signs too. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm. Um, I feel like we all are capable of being a full human on the spectrum and having some aspects of us that are positive, some aspects of us that are negative, and it's just about the choices we make and um, how quick we can wake ourselves out of trances when we just go on autopilot. Because I think we t human beings are very programmable. You know, I feel like we're, su we're, we're supercomputers in the flesh, but we're also spiritual creatures. And our spiritual side, if we suppress it and keep it, and keep it kind of locked down, our human side can just go on autopilot and just go with what's being programmed like Neo in the Matrix until you wake up and, and pay attention to everything you're doing and the role that everything you're doing has in everything you're doing. You know, I feel like that's our main goal is to kind of become fully conscious while we're here on this earth and then realize there's just no limitations. Like everything you see around you, every physical thing you see came from someone's mind first before it existed. So we're the ultimate creators. You recently lost like 40, 50 pounds, right? 50 pounds, man. Yeah, 50 pounds. 50 pounds. Congratulations to that. What was your like step one to dropping the weight? Yeah, man. I'm actually I'm actually going to write a little mini guide to that whole process. Uh, so you, this is going to be this little sneak peek of the process. Um, step one was um, was uh, d was setting the goal and defining the why, you know. My why yeah. was to um, be the best version of myself so that I could be um, successful in my you know, career of choice as well as you know, be around to really kick it with my daughter. I got a nine-year-old daughter. Um, and I, you know, I remember like at times I would be trying to play with her and just be exhausted and be tired and just like not the energetic person that I know I can be. So yeah. it really was like, yo, health is the foundation of wealth, right? So if you ain't got that, you ain't got nothing because your money ain't going ain't gonna to keep you alive forever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it might prolong things, but do you want to be just alive and sick and then, and then die? Or do you want to live, you want to live balls out to the walls out and literally when it's your time to go, it's just lights out because you just lived into the fullest. You know what I'm saying? But you were healthy the whole time. That's how I want to go out. So I had my goal. I had my why. It was strong enough. And then I was like, okay, I learned from watching some TED Talks, you know, it's a basically a calories in, calories out thing. Like, okay, you gotta eat less, move more. But if I try to go run, uh, I was weighing 246 pounds, if I try to go run at this weight, I'm gonna end up being hurt and sore, and I'm not gonna be able to be consistent about it. So, what I did was I used this gamification uh, concept that uh, I read in a book, 
and just it talks about how to like track what gets measured gets mastered how to track what you do make it fun and have some ways of like rewarding yourself along the way so uh, i started walking first it was three miles a day then it was five miles a day then it was seven then it was eight then it was ten and then i just i just kept adding to what i what i did and just walking every single day so i did that for like 165 days straight and you know eight eight I ate less, so I did intermittent fasting, so I only ate one, maybe two meals a day, which cut down how much caloric intake I could have. I used an app for that called uh, called Zero, and it's a, like an intermittent fasting app, and it just helps you learn about fasting and all the major benefits. I watched probably 10 different documentaries on fasting and all of the benefits. Um, you know, I, I read and perused through a bunch of different books to like keep myself motivated. But the biggest thing I did that I stayed consistent on was that every day I just woke up, four o'clock, like 5.30, sometimes 4.30. Actually, I did like my first 30 days, I woke up at 4.44 intentionally every day just because I wanted to make a new habit. And if you know much about numerology, 4.44 is actually the numerological sign for um, protect your thoughts and protect your mindset and only think about the things you want and not the things you don't want when you see the number 444. So for like the Ooh. first 30 days, I just woke up at 444 so that I could have that waking up, protect my mindset, go after my dreams, go after my goals, you know what I mean, plan. Um, and that was what I did, man. So walking every day, intermittent fasting every day, just learning more about nutrition and, 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 and um and health and wellness just on a daily basis trying to learn just a little bit more a little bit more and then that just helped me make better choices and better choices and you know cut out the cut out the soda cut out the excess sugar and, and little things that you know throughout the day like i don't i don't do the the snacking all day long you know what i'm saying i eat when it's time to eat and then in between that i drink not i drink things that are extremely low in calories to no calories like water lemon water apple cider vinegar and water um, uh, salsa water, different flavors and stuff. There's like no calories in it because I don't want to spike. I don't want to spike insulin because insulin is the savior of human of humankind and it allows you to store fat unlimited. So if you want to lose weight, you got to keep insulin levels low because when insulin is low, your your body's ability to burn fat for energy is high. And once once insulin turns on, fat burning stops. So how do I keep myself in? in a low insulin state as long as possible was the goal. And then if you're in a low insulin state, if you're walking, doing something called, they call it LIS, low intensity steady state. If you're walking for a long time, your body can't doesn't have enough sugar to use. So what it does is it say, oh, after 30 minutes, yo, we, we're gonna be doing this for a while. All right, switch modes, you go to hybrid mode, you switch from sugar to fat burning mode. And that's how you start burning fat on a regular basis. So what are some things that you're working on right now that's going to be coming out in the near future? I know you already mentioned the book. Yeah, so let's see. Besides the book, um, let's see here. The biggest thing that I'm working on right now is um, it's a project that I'm, what I'm trying to do is integrate uh, music, uh, edutainment um, with solar education. And so and then all of that stuff is going to be run as ads to help generate new leads for both uh, creating a bigger sales force as well as clients for solar. So one of the things I'm trying to do is like, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of working on some music right now. Uh, I'm writing some bars, some educational bars, and um, just uh -huh. looking to like leverage that. There's there's a there's a really dope um, 
digital marketing agency out of um, out of Utah called the Harmon Brothers, and they you know they charge a, like five hundred thousand dollars for a retainer. So you know I want to enter that space. You know I want to enter that space. There's a lot of people who don't have five hundred grand. They may got fifty grand, and so if I can go grab a, you know ten ten fifty grand clients, create some dope you know fun digital advertising for them. That'll be a good look, and it'll help me continue to build my brand and my name. Because you know, I definitely want to be known. Um, I kind of decided, like you know, being a touring artist, I would only tour on my own terms, and I'm not gonna go through like like the, the club scene and all that stuff. I'd, I'd rather do it on my own terms. So I'm focused more on business and being known for being successful in business, and then I can tour how I want to tour and, and really focus on, you know you know, those upper echelon money moves with the knowledge that I know, and then just, you know, do my comedy in and around that. For me, business is like the ultimate game that I enjoy playing. So so that's what I'm gonna kind of focus on. And then in that space, mm -hmm. there's there's gonna be no speakers who can who got the chops like I got the chops, you know what I'm saying? I can actually spit, I can actually rhyme, I can actually flow, and I, can, and I actually got really funny, you know, stories and things like that. So in that world, I'm, I'm coming for like the Gary V's. I'm coming for him. I'm coming for the, okay. The, 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 there's a guy named Billy Jean. I'm coming for him. Billy Jean yeah, is marketing. Coming, like I, I performed yeah. at, his, at his at his office last year. And I was trying to partner up with him, but you know he was on some some next shit. But it, it's cool. It's like all right. I, I mean, I, when I when I pass certain people up, they're gonna be like, Yo, I remember him. He was just like a dude in the room. Like, yep, I wanted to work with you. But you know, what I'm saying it, at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like especially in hip hop, like your idols become your rivals. That's what I'm that's what I'm yeah. looking for. So that's that's my next move. What was the most important thing that got you where you are today? Huh, the most important thing, uh, just nonstop drive, man. You, you know, my drive is internal. It's not external. It doesn't require other people to acknowledge it. It's just things that I want to do for my own um, for my own sake and sanity. So um, I don't know where it comes from, you know what I mean? I just feel like it's a gift. It's a gift from the universe, you know, a gift from God. And I'm just, I'm glad that I got this thing, man. Like, it's funny you talk about, like, I wake up every day between 4 and 5 a.m. with no alarm clock. That's drive right there. You know what I'm saying? I just wake up, like, boom, it's time to get it. It's time to get it. And, you know, and I usually get out the house by, like, 5, sometimes 5.30 to get my 12-mile walk in every day. But, um, you know... I just get, I just wake up and get it because I know I, I know I got it and I got it to give and so I'm like, when, when I give it, give it, give it, give it away now. You know what I'm saying? You record a lot of videos while you're walking. I feel like whenever I'm walking or it, it's in any time I'm exercising, you know, like scientifically, it makes you happy by releasing those endorphins in your brain. So like, yep. you, you're probably full of thoughts oh, while yeah. you go on those walks every morning. Yeah, so when you're walking, um, there's something, especially when you're in a fasted state, there's something that happens called B, uh, BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factors. And so as that happens, you start to enter flow states. And so a lot of times I actually come up with my best ideas in the morning when I'm walking and I record them and, you know, note them down, you know, put them in my phone and stuff like that. And I used to do a lot more videos. Uh, I used to have a series called Walk and Talk. I think I got about... I feel like I got about 40 episodes where I would uh -huh. um, take three topics and I would actually just go Facebook live, record the topics and talk about the topics. And, um, and then, and those got, they, you know, those got a pretty good response. And it's funny cause people would be like, yo, what happens to your walking talks and stuff like that? And I'm like, I need to get back to it. But a lot of times my walks right now, they'd be so early in the morning, it'd still be dark out. 
So you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like when I by the time I'm on the way back, I'm on like the come down of like, okay, I just gotta get to get this get get to this twelfth mile. And I don't necessarily feel like going into deep thought. I that usually happens kind of more on the uphill because I go up this long hill. But um I, I definitely wanna bring it back in terms of like because I go for secondary walks throughout the day too, like I say, just around like noon and just to get some sun and stuff. Just, you know, do a quick five minutes. It's, it's nothing for me to talk for five minutes anyway, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, walking and talking, I got a whole, I have a whole series of videos that I, that I you know, have done and we'll, we'll continue to do at some point. Dope, man. Well, hey, Jamar, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you. Hey, hey Crack and Lag, it was a pleasure, man. This is great. This is great. I feel like you asked some cool questions. Uh, and I've, you know, I've been doing a lot more podcasts as of late, but it's always cool to get different questions and to see like where the interviewer wants to take it. So I appreciate it, man. It's a pleasure. And I would love to have you on mine too, because I'd love to ask you some questions about your journey as an artist. So please come be a guest on Verbal Brainstorm sometime. Boom. There we go. All right, everyone. See you guys in the next episode. Oh, at Jamar J on Twitter and Instagram. Definitely, <laughs> my bad. Yo, <laughs> shout out more than that. <laughs> I'm leaving all this in there too. Yo, yeah, shout yeah, out cool. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and anything you want to shout out right now. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you can find me on the socials. The best place to find me is Instagram because I'm always there. I'm always in the DMs, you know, chopping it up. I got some new, some dope, dope, dope musicians, classical trained pianists with over 50 million streams on Spotify that's going to be joining the mastermind. I'm, I'm in talks with him right now uh, on, on Instagram. That's at Jamar J. J-A-M-A-R-R-J. Jamar J. And that's the same for Twitter, same for Instagram. And then on Facebook, I am Jamar the Go-Giver. Um, and then you can find my personal page. I got a couple of Facebook pages because I got so, I got so many people that be adding me. And then and then I got a couple business pages. But Jamar the Go-Giver is the best way to find me and stay up. If if not Instagram, because it's like direct access. So those are the, those are the main platforms. And then also too, man, like you know, I'm here. I, I love to mentor and guide people and, and kind of give them direction. So if anybody out there is like looking for you know ways to make some significant bread at home, you know, working from the comfort of your home, working from a computer, from a laptop, from a phone, holla at me, especially on the solar tip. And you can actually text me uh, directly. Here's, here's, this is my direct line. It's um. The one I'm going to give you is 213-318-4919. Uh, uh, and that's going to hit me right on my super phone. And we can start up a dialogue and I can send you some more info. Uh, but to me, it's like do everything you can do to be free so you can work on your art and, and make as much money as possible in the process so you can fund your dreams. Don't expect nobody to invest in you. You got to invest in you. And the best way to invest in you is to, is to skill up. So whether that be learning how to make music properly, whether that be learning how to sell, how to market, those three skills as a producer, phew, ain't no stopping you because that's the whole business right there. There you go. That's Now we have a proper outro. Yes, sir. All right, everyone. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Oh, see you. See you. Peace out. Right. Later.